Well, this morning we're continuing our series, At Our Core. Um, We have been in this series for eight weeks, and and this is the final week uh, of our series. We've been looking at who we are as a church and why we do what we do as a church. And so right off the very beginning, we jumped into looking at the mission, which is connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Now, we call it mission. Sometimes we call it the main thing. Because uh, sometimes when you hear the word mission or vision or strategy or core values, it just kind of all gets mixed up there. So sometimes we'll just refer to it as the main thing that we do around here is to connect people to Jesus and uh, to one another. And we try very hard to keep that main thing, the main thing. In 1856, Booker T. Washington was born in Virginia into slavery. He later became an American educator, author, orator, actually an advisor to presidents of the United States. And between 1890 and 1915, he was the dominant leader in the African-American community. And he's known for some of his very thought-provoking statements. And let me just give you a few of them. One of them is, he said, no race can prosper till it learns that there is as much dignity in tilling a field as there is in writing a poem. He made this comment, the world carries, carries very little what you do, or what you or I know, but it does care a great deal what you and I do. He went on to say, opportunities never have a second, their opportunities never come a second time, nor, they, nor do they wait for our leisure. Uh, if you want to lift yourself up, we'll lift someone else up. And I came across this one this week. He said, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. Excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. I love that statement, because sometimes we think excellence means perfection. No, it's doing something common in an uncommon way. Because if excellence required perfection all the time, then we would see very little of excellence. Solomon said, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they will never harvest. Ecclesiastes 4, 11, 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, 23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing well. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. In fact, let's pick the story up again uh, in verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went out once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with him. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent, master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. Excellence is not found in in you having the final score higher than everybody else. Because here we have the story. Jesus, uh, this master, gives someone five talents. Okay, He's given them a lot. And and the master goes away, the master comes back, and he's doubled his money with his five talents. And and Jesus says, man, well done, you good and faithful. That's awesome. But notice he says the exact same thing to the person with two talents. So we have a man with five talents. He doubled it, yes. We have a man with two talents. He went out and doubled it too. He only had two. But Jesus says the exact same thing. Wow, well done. Well done, you good and faithful servant. He he gets the same praise. But he has a lot less. So that's why I always say that when it comes to excellence, it's doing our best with what we have, with what God's given to us. And of course, we have the one guy who didn't do anything. Uh, with the talent that he had. But Jesus responds exactly the same to those who win and with what was given to them, with their investments. I'm here to tell you as well th- this morning that you ought not to be comparing yourself to somebody else who maybe has more than you. Just be faithful. Uh, just be excellent with what God has put into your hands. And if God's given you five talents, great, go use that. If God's given you two talents, then go and use the two talents. If God's given you one talent, great, use that one talent that he's given to you for his glory. Be faithful with that. Because remember, excellence is not found in the final scoreboard. Oh, he got more than me. Excellence is about what you did with what God gave you. It's not about a score. It's giving God your best. You know, way too often we, we are always looking around trying to compare ourselves with others instead of focusing on what is ahead for us. In fact, this is, I have a photo of, of Michael Phelps. I thought this was, I think we have it, right there. Very close race. It's a... Uh, well-known photo, I'm there saying, there's Michael, focus straight ahead. Here's the other guy just looking over, kind of like, oh, where's he doing? What's he got? What's happening? And I'm thinking, that's, I feel like that's sometimes that's how we live as Christians, always looking, trying to compete, compare ourselves with somebody else. That's not what God's called us to do. God says, I've given you a certain amount of talent you do with what I've given you. Don't be looking around comparing, because excellence is doing your best with what God has given you. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. Paul determines that he's going to be the best that he can be, the best person he can be for God. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And really, every Christian has ample reasons to say the same thing that Paul says. I'll be what I can be, and I'll reach for excellence in Christ. 
And I understand it. Sometimes it takes a, a special measure of dedication to, to strive for excellence. This is particularly true in the Christian life. I mean, ex, um, excellence in Christianity does not happen, I know that, by accident. It requires commitment. I get that. I, it, it requires motivation. Yet every Christian has been called to a higher calling. And that's why Paul says, I press towards the goal that's ahead of me. Paul was a man dedicated to excellence as a Christian. He did not believe in careless commitment. His goals were high. His standards were high. His purpose in life was high. So he could be the very best person that he could be for Christ with what was given to him. Excellence is, is about maximizing our potential. It's not just about finishing the job, but doing a job right. So, you know, I always say, you know, if, if you're asked to clean, maybe someone's asked to clean the auditorium, and we come in and we vacuum, we, well, we did our job. Yes, we did it. But all of a sudden, if someone says, you know, I, I clean, I, I vacuum the carpet, plus I'm off the floor, it's like, oh, okay, I, I get it. You're maximizing. You're, you're going uh, above and beyond. And my prayer is that in, in life, we'll, we'll do our best, that whatever you put your hand to, you'll do with all your might. I mean, really, life is too short not to live any other way. I don't know if you've ever seen this sign. I came across it this week. We have done so much for so long with so little that now we can do anything with nothing. That anything is possible. See, we don't look at our resources to determine what we're going to do for God, that we'll give him our best. When we have more resources, we look at what we have and we give God the best that we have. You know, sometimes you have to be creative, innovative. I understand that. For instance, these sound panels back there. Uh, when we looked at some of them, they were like four, or $500 each. We're like, well, we don't have the money for that. But some people got together and said, well, I can find the acoustic fabric. We'll put it inside. We'll build the frames. And next thing you know, wow. We, with what we had, we did the best, and we end up paying like $60 a piece instead of four or $500 a piece. Now, I know some people come up, maybe turn up their nose about that, but I'm thinking this is what God has given us, and we've done the best that we could with what God has given us. Because money is not the prerequisite for excellence. Excellence is not determined, not defined by what you have, but by the attitude by which you live. So give God your best. Because money is not a prerequisite. Yeah, sometimes it does help, obviously. But it's not everything. And sometimes we as individuals, even as churches, just say, if I had more money, if I had more resources, if I had more time, I could do excellence if I had more. The excellence that God is calling us to, or you in your life, or us as a church, is to use what God has given us. And Exodus chapter 4, it's this amazing story. You read through the Old Testament, you're like, you're just, your mind is boggled by the things that God did. But in, in Exodus chapter 4, there's the call of Moses. If you remember, um, Moses has, has been kind of, he was raised in Egypt, but he's been gone for 40 years. He's kind of been living in, in secret. And all of a sudden, he's at a burning bush, and God calls Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage. He's like, ah, Lord, I, well, I can't do that. 
I mean, first of all, who would ever believe me that God's called me to do that? And who am I to go speak to Pharaoh? I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I wasn't on the debate team in, in high school. I, I'm not the athlete. I'm not the super fit person that can be put under all this stress, a stressful situation. Uh, I'm not eloquent in speech. I stutter. I, I, I take too long to finish my sentences. No one's going to listen to me. I can't give an argument to the most powerful man in the world to let go one to two million slaves. They'll mock me in that kind of environment. And then God says, Moses, can't you just trust me with what I've given you? See, because Moses said, well, I, if, I had, if I could speak better, well, then I could do it. You know, if I, if I was uh, more eloquent, if I, if I could argue the points better, well, then I could do it. But no, God says, can't you just trust with what I've given you? And he says to Moses, says, what's that in your hand? Well, it, it's a staff. And God says, I can use that. I know you seem, Moses, to be very ill-equipped, but I will use what I have given you. You can trust God. He's called you to, to do something. He'll equip you with what you have. And you don't have to wait. Because he can do something supernatural with what he has given to you. So Moses, with a stick, with a staff, that's it, that's all he had. He goes and he speaks to the most powerful man in the world. And guess what happens? A nation is set free. I mean, he didn't have some army. He didn't have a strategy to have ground forces <laughs> and overhead reinforcements with bombers above him. He had a stick. That's it. And yet God used what he had. Excellence is not in comparison. It's not about competing. It's not about having all the extras. It's just giving your best with what you have. I hope that that stirs something inside of you. You don't have to wait before God uses you. You don't have to wait before you can strive for excellence. You use what God's given you right now. God can use you, and he can use us as a church family. Even with all of our limitations, we can still strive for excellence. Because we want to rise out of mediocrity by giving God our best. Because little is much when God is in it. We know that story, of course, the feeding of the, of the 5,000 people, say probably 20,000 people that day, and, and this little boy has just, you know, a little, just a little tiny lunch. But what is that among so many people? That's what the disciples asked. And then all of a sudden you watch what, God, what Jesus did. And all of a sudden, these, these five little biscuits and two little fishes, God does something miraculous, supernatural. He just used what the boy had. I believe God does the same thing. Because remember, excellence is not about the things that we have. It's, it's really a mindset. It's our attitude. I also think excellence can be found in the details. Have you ever heard of the establishment called Chick-fil-A? Pastor Dave has shares in it. He goes, he try, when, he's, when it's nearby, he goes morning, noon, and afternoon. That's part of his vacation. Drags his family and everybody there. Let's have breakfast at Chick-fil-A. Let's have lunch at Chick-fil-A. Let's have staff meetings at Chick-fil-A. Let's bring my friends to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, they put an emphasis on excellence. And I realize a lot of Canadians have not experienced it because there's only a couple of them in our, in our, in our country. But I, I like what they do. 
Because sometimes, you know, you'll go to um, a fast food, maybe this, you've had this experience, you've gone to a, another establishment, and you're, you step up to give your order, and sometimes you feel like you're an inconvenience. Like, what do you want? Right, and they kind of put it in. You're like, I'm sorry, am I inconveniencing you? But you go to Chick-fil-A, and it's like, ah, the man with the blue hat, he's here. They've been expecting you with anticipation. They're so excited when you walk through the door. When you go through the drive through you're not speaking to a little speaker. No, there's people out there with their little iPads taking orders personally from you because they realize that they, it's in the details. Excellence is often in the details. And Chick-fil-A says, people will not remember what they ordered in the store last week, but they will remember how they felt with the experience. And so excellence is found in those little things. And I realize today that, you know, after we leave here today, by tomorrow afternoon, you probably won't remember what I said. I get that. That's, I think the stats are by Wednesday, 90% of people don't remember what was said on Sunday. But you'll always remember how you felt when you left here. You'll always remember what the experience was like. You'll always remember how it felt when, when the word of God was unfolded right in front of you. See, I, I feel that when people walk through our doors, of course we want to welcome them, we, but we want to go beyond just being friendly as a church. We want people to know that they're loved here, actually, that there's a sense of love, that there's a safe place to come, that it's actually a place where you can connect. So, yes, friendly church but hey the excellence is in the details to go beyond just being friendly in first kings chapter six if you read through there you it it's very detailed about the building of the temple the precision uh, what went into building uh, excellent, it's kind of going above and beyond. So Solomon is building this, this incredible temple. It's so spectacular, actually, that it's known all, all around the world. I mean, the gold, the silver, the cedars, the stones that were cut, the, the um, precious metals that were used. Very, very detailed. In fact, I was reading that... <coughs> Somebody said that it's probably, probably would have cost, some people estimate like seven to eight billion dollars in today's currency. Some have gone up to 20 billion dollars. You think about that. This building, I, I actually I think I have a picture of the um, Cowboy Stadium that I had uh, brought with me. They got a picture of that right there? Okay, that cost 1.3 billion dollars. You think about that. It had, when it was built, it had the largest um, screen in the world, there, there's over 3,000 LCD screens for, for people to watch. A retractable roof, climate control. I mean, it has everything. It's like 1.3 billion. We're talking about the temple in today's currency, like 7, 8, 9, 10 billion dollars. What an amazing structure that Solomon built. Excellence was all into the details. It wasn't about just giving my leftovers. I'm not, you know, for some of you men, you don't want to just give your wife the leftovers. Dad, you don't, you're not looking to give your children just the leftovers. I'm not just going to do life by getting by. I'm going to live a life of excellence. I don't have much, but I'm going to give God my best. And so Solomon builds his temple, and in 1 Kings chapter 10, it talks about 
the queen of Sheba comes to see what Solomon, his wisdom, what he's built. And she is overwhelmed by it all. She, she can't fathom. She's, the half has not even been told of the beauty of Solomon's structures and buildings and temple. And she came with questions. It seems as though she, she asked Solomon a question. And it says there in that passage, actually, in 1 Kings there, uh, and, and 10, that she had all these questions and she went away fully understanding who God was. That really struck me. She came with these questions and she left with knowing who God was. I pray that the manner of excellence that we have seen in that story will be the same for us. That we would do things in such an excellent way. And the fact that things that have been given to us, we would do it in such a way that it would actually cause people to come and say, I've got some questions. I, I've just been noticing what's happening. I got questions. Wouldn't it be amazing that those, because of our excellence, it becomes attractive for people, that people come with these questions and they go away knowing who God is. That's excellence. Not for our own fame, but for the glory of God. We have invested eight weeks and understanding what our mission is as a church, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. We've invested time in understanding how we're going to be able to do that through our values. And the reason we've spent this time is so that we can understand together what we're all about and, and what we're going to do and, and how we're going to do it. See, it is no accident, it is absolutely no accident that God has placed us right here in the city of Sarnia. It's no accident that God has raised up this church family for such a time as this. This is no time to sit back and, and coast into our golden years. If there was ever a time for the church to rise up and make an impact with eternal significance, it is now. I don't know for you. I was asking myself this question. This week, when was the last time, Donald, that you actually wept over people in Sarnia who don't know Jesus? I ask that as a church family. When was the last time corporately we wept together for those who are lost in our city? Because if we really believe what the Bible says, that there is a destiny for those who know Jesus Christ, and there's also a destiny for those who don't know Jesus Christ. It affects parents who don't know Jesus. It affects our children who do not know Jesus. It affects long-term boyfriends and, and girlfriends and, and best friends and associates and long-term neighbors that we have. That's why we've invested eight weeks in, in just trying to understand what we really are all about. God has strategically placed us right here, by the way, between Walmart and Lowe's. Like when people walk by, drive by here all the time, I think God can use that even to prick someone's conscience at church. What's going on there? What's that all about? And so I want to encourage you as a church family, together, together, not just a few of us, I pray that together we'll rise up and strive for excellence in what we do. 
Because excellence is attractive. People are drawn to that. It causes them to ask questions. Why you strive for excellence? And remember, it's not about competing. It's not about comparing. It's not about some final number. It's just doing the best that God has given us. And God has definitely blessed us. And we know to whom much is given, much will be required. And God has done some amazing things in our past. But I still believe that with a rich 80 years behind us, we still have our best years ahead of us as we continue to connect people to Jesus because God is the God of the city of Sarnia. And as you walk through the, the, the city, you'll, see, you'll rub shoulders, you'll see faces, those who know Jesus and those who are very far from Jesus. So we have a great responsibility as a church to connect people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. So grateful for the day you opened our eyes to the truth of who Jesus was. Lord, it was a defining moment for us. Because once in our lives, we, we were headed in a direction that was separated from you. And then now, because we know you, our destiny is, is radically different. But Lord, we know in this city of Sarnia, which where we work, many of us grew up in this city, many of us love this city, but Lord, we know there's tens of thousands of people who don't know you. So I, God, I, my prayer is that you will raise us up as a church family that will live and breathe what it is to connect people to Jesus. And then once we do that, Lord, that we would connect people to one another because we just weren't designed to do this life on our own. So God, take this last eight weeks. We just sear it into our hearts and minds. Give us open eyes to see those who are all around us, we rub shoulders with every day, who do not know Jesus. Break our hearts. May we weep for those who do not know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.